please uh, turn your hearts with me to dependent prayer on God. God of all glory and grace, we do desire to know you more. Help us this morning to see either for the first time or to see anew that we can only know you through Jesus Christ. We can only know you through the way that you have revealed yourself in your word. We can only know you by the power of your Holy Spirit working in us. And we come to know you better and better as we obey you the way that Christ demonstrated for us. Help us this morning to understand your unique love better as you demonstrated it through Jesus. Help us to be greatly impacted by that love so that we will grow in loving others the way that you have loved us. In Christ's name we ask, amen. Jesus was different. When the Son of God walked the earth, he was different. Not just different like John the Forerunner was different who wore camel's hair and ate locusts and honey. Jesus was more fundamentally different. And not only because he could perform miracles like no one else could, or because he said things that no one else said, but Jesus was different because he knew where he had come from and he knew where he was going. He was very God from very God. He knew why he had come, what he had to accomplish, and Jesus grasped the scope of its eternal significance. So at the Last Supper with his disciples, Jesus prepared them for his impending sacrificial death and his resurrection, and also for his departure and their continued ministry on his behalf. So at this same meal where Jesus instituted the Lord's table, of which we will partake together today, Jesus demonstrated the true meaning of love by showing and telling a different way to love. We'll be in John 13 this morning and, and focus our attention and our hearts on how Jesus himself uses a show and tell of love that is particularly poignant and effective, that of washing the disciples' feet at the Last Supper to establish the model of loving humility. And it becomes a living illustration that will leave a lasting imprint in their minds of how his love is different and of what they needed him to do for them and how they must live for him. Jesus indeed does things differently than the world expects. As we see today in our text, Jesus has very different leadership advice. And this leadership teaching has a deeper meaning that is rooted in the love of God toward us in Christ Jesus so that we should show and tell of this same love. Read John 13, verses 1 through 17 with me. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... 
having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the the heart of Judas, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Now, I want you to picture this. I want you to imagine yourself being there, okay, at the Last Supper with the disciples. He took a towel and he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. That is, that's plural, you, plural. The disciples are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And now beginning at verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus knows that his hour has come to depart out of this world to the Father. So he invests this final opportunity of devoted time with his disciples to prepare them for, as we said, not only his impending crucifixion and resurrection, but also for his glorification and ascension to the Father. So Jesus is preparing them for what is soon to take place and and preparing them for their ministry on his behalf while he's no longer physically present in John 13 to, to 16, and then Jesus will pray for them in John 17. And in this text, Jesus shows his his disciples how his love is different, and he explains his expectation that their leadership should be modeled after this same love. Jesus asks asks nothing less of his people than to love and lead the way God has displayed his love and leadership in Christ's sacrifice. But what does it look like? And even more fundamentally, how is it even possible for us to be like Jesus? To understand Jesus' show and tell of a different love, we first have to recognize that Jesus is the embodiment of divine love. Jesus is the manifestation of divine love. Jesus is the expression of God's love in human form. 
The center of these verses that give context to both this passage and all of chapters 13 to 17, even gives context to the cross and the resurrection and ascension, is this phrase, having loved his own in the world, he loved them to the end. The verb agapao, to love, is repeated for emphasis here. So we should be asking the question, what is love? What is love? Defining complex things is not the simplest task, but defining important things is is crucial and it's worth the effort because it brings clarity of understanding and it gives weight to the significance of the thing. So here's a running start for you at a definition of love as I believe it is explained and portrayed in the Bible, especially in Jesus Christ and especially in John 13 to 17. Love is a deep relational affection that desires and strives for the highest glory or highest good of another. Love is a deep relational affection. Love is an affection. Love is a desire, but it's not an affection and a desire alone. It has a goal. And the goal of love is either the highest glory of another in relationship to God or God's relationship to himself, or the goal of love is the highest good of another. So when I say I love you, I'm not only saying that I have a deep affection for you, but that my affection has as its aim your highest good to the glory of God. An easy illustration for us in terms of love is for those of us who are parents, who have children. It's not wise nor loving to leave our children to their own training. Do you take an infant and say, be warm and well-fed, see ya? Nor do you do that spiritually with someone's upbringing. You don't say, go ahead, bye. No, your goal is their good to the glory of God, and so you work hard at loving them well, not what is most convenient for them, not letting them do as they please, but doing what is ultimately best for them. That is love. Now, because of sin, human love is always tainted. Human love is always incomplete. It's not that we have no capacity for affection because by God's grace, that is common grace, he has granted us emotion to mankind that, that he created in his image. But our love is, is fickle. It's flaky. We fall in love and we fall out of love. Our love is feeble. It's finite. Our love is weak. It will fall short of staying power. Our love is, I hate to say it, our love is filthy defiled. It's not pure. It's polluted. It's contaminated with our sin. Not so the love of Christ. God's love is perfect. God's love is complete. 
God's love is pure, completely pure. God's love is powerful. God loves to the end. It's noteworthy that here it speaks too of Jesus loving his own. There's a sense in which God loves the world. He gave his one and only son out of love to the world, and that is common grace. But there's also a sense in which God's special favor is set on his own. He, Jesus loves his own, which most directly corresponds here to his chosen disciples. But also in John's gospel, it, is, it applies to all of his chosen ones, his sheep who hear his voice and who follow him. Jesus loves his own. So through Jesus Christ, God loves us with a deep relational affection that desires and strives for our highest good to the glory of the triune Godhead. And now as we continue in the specifics of this text, Jesus then will use this this show and tell And this show and tell that Jesus participates in is is something that stretches far beyond just this foot washing. The overall context is a macrocosm of God's love revealed in Christ Jesus. John's gospel is a show and tell of the spiritual truth of Christ's first advent. John has been telling us, as we reviewed just a couple of weeks ago, that the signs and the statements of Jesus, the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus said are a show and tell of the love of God manifest through Jesus Christ. But then here in this text, there are some very particular ways that we can see this. Notice, first of all, the references to the Passover and to supper. This Passover would be the one on which Christ would die on a Roman cross. Year after year, the Jews celebrated the Passover because God had brought them up out of Egypt. He redeemed these people to be his special people at the Exodus. I will make you a people for my possession. And they celebrated this at the Passover every year, year after year. But this Passover was the one on which God the Son would die on a Roman cross to pay the penalty for sin, and rise again so that in him we might have eternal life. It was only one day away. And he would become the Passover lamb by whose blood we might be passed over for judgment of our sin. And about supper, our best understanding is that this takes place At the very same meal and the same night in which Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples and was later betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. That matters because as Christ instituted the Lord's Supper, or communion as we often call it, it was to be a living illustration of the sufficiency of his sacrificial love to meet our spiritual need. A living illustration of the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice to meet our spiritual need. So this reference to Passover and supper reaches back to God's progressive covenants with Israel, and it reaches 
forward to his institution of the Lord's table, which is representative of the new covenant inaugurated by his death and resurrection. And then secondly in the text, we see the impending betrayal and instigation of the devil himself, which is a reminder of the cosmic battle stretching far beyond these immediate events. There is a cosmic battle raging at this at all times, and there's a, a special uh, crux. There is a unique climax taking place here. And then thirdly, Jesus knew the whole narrative. Did you see in verse 3 that Jesus knew that God had given all things into his hand? God has given all glory into the hands of Jesus Christ. And he knows this. He knows where he comes from and he knows where he is going. Jesus knew the outcome. He knew the glory that God received of which he himself is included in the Godhead. You see, true love perceives the blessing of sacrificial obedience by seeing the bigger picture. True love perceives the blessing of sacrificial obedience by seeing the bigger picture. And this becomes extremely relevant to us as we try to love like Jesus. Jesus knew the whole narrative. We too must contextualize our our present in terms of the bigger picture of God's eternal plan. Now, again, the broader context is a macrocosm of the very love Jesus will illustrate. The show and tell of Jesus' love stretches far beyond the foot washing, and that matters because God the Son gave full expression of divine love in human form. Such love is not just theoretical, it's personal. Even as Jesus' love demonstrates to his disciples, This love isn't just theoretical, it's personal. Jesus would wash the feet of those whom he loved. Jesus would die for these that he had chosen. Jesus would do this for you. But we see in the text, as Jesus participates in this foot washing, leave it to Peter, something interesting comes out Jesus has a teaching opportunity here that shows us that if if we would receive this love that God offers through Jesus Christ, if we would receive it, Christ must make us clean. First, take note that Jesus deliberately uses an illustration for this show and tell that will astonish and embarrass them. He does this on purpose. The foot washing is a deliberately astonishing illustration. In the dusty conditions of the region, and everybody wearing sandals, they would have had very dirty feet. But not only that, more importantly, only the lowliest of household servants did this job. But Jesus ties a towel around his waist, and he gets down on his hands and knees, and he takes a basin of water. And he washes their dirty feet. And they call him master, Lord, teacher. They believe this is the Messiah of God. 
And he gets on his hands and knees and he washes their dirty feet and he takes that towel tied around his waist and he wipes their feet clean with it. And they're astonished and they're embarrassed. And Peter says what probably all of them are thinking. Jesus fully intends to grab their attention and generate questions with this foot washing exercise and it does the trick. Jesus is showing, telling them how to live. And so Peter provides a further teaching opportunity. And as I mentioned, or maybe I didn't say this already, but we're not super surprised that it's Peter, the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth, who says what everybody else is probably thinking. But we can also thank Peter because Jesus putting Peter in his place now and other times Jesus putting Peter in his place provides such great instruction, for we are all in need of the same lessons. And we see Peter with great hope for the transformation that Jesus can do in any of us. Peter's Peter's reaction provides a teaching opportunity concerning the spiritual cleansing we need. Peter's reaction is, Lord, you wash my feet. Jesus says, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter's going to need the perspective of the cross and the resurrection. You don't understand yet, but you will. And Peter resists further in verse 8. And Jesus says, you must let me do this for you because there's more to the story. The true cleansing they need is a spiritual one, which only he can provide by the work that he must do on a cross as a perfect sacrifice to purchase forgiveness for sinners. They are dead in the water, like a ship with no sails, no steam engine, no outboard motor. All paddling in our own strength is less than pointless. It's wasted. We're in, the, in an ocean, the middle of an ocean of our sin, with no land in sight, and we paddle with all our might, but we make no progress. We need rescuing. We need to be made clean. The foot washing illustrates Christ's sacrificial humility and their need, our need, for spiritual cleansing. We need Jesus to cleanse us within, not just our dirty feet. There's a, a, in the, as Jesus is talking about this, demonstrating it to Peter, there, there is a first purification. And then there's ongoing purification. There is, a, there is a first transformation to new birth, and then there is a process of growing to maturity. There is a first change of new standing in Christ, and there is a progressive learning to live more and more like Jesus. There is a first declaration for righteousness, justification because of Christ. Then there is a progress of living up to that new calling, sanctification. So Jesus can say to him, if you're, you're, Peter, you've already showered, you come to this dinner and you're clean, so then you only need to wash your feet. So Jesus is saying, if you've been made spiritually clean, yeah, you're still going to need to wash your feet from time to time. But in me, you can be clean. 
You can stand in the presence of God clean if you are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a person who, yes, has the presence of the Spirit, but is fighting the flesh of your sin, you will need to wash your feet again and again. You will need to come to God and say, forgive me, make me clean. If it were up to us only to achieve either of these, we're sunk. All we can do is bring our dirty selves covered in sin and stain to God and plead with him to make us clean through Jesus. And then still through Jesus and the work of his spirit, as we abide in him and as we submit in obedience, we are further sculpted into the image of Christ. But there is a tragic warning in this context. If we reject the purpose of Christ's first coming, if we reject him as the Jewish religious establishment had done, if we reject him as Judas does, Judas saw Jesus as a means to an end for himself. Judas did not see Jesus as the end and worship him. So Judas rejected Jesus, and if we do that, we remain unclean, and the love of God is not in us. Are you washed in the blood? Are you washed in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Repent and believe the gospel. As we continue Jesus' explanation, we learn from Jesus that those who know his love must live this love. In verses 12 through 17, Jesus asks, do you understand what I have done to you? If I, your teacher and Lord, will do such a thing and make such a sacrifice on your behalf. And you are certainly not greater than your master. You are not greater than your teacher. You ought to do the same. Foot washing displays the leadership of sacrificial love through humble service. In the in this context and earlier in the Synoptic Gospels, the disciples were having a discussion about who is the greatest. Apparently, John, one of the youngest, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he calls himself, probably as an expression of humility. And Judas, maybe sitting on the right and the left of Jesus. The disciples were having conversations and arguments, seeking the spotlight, vying for the seat of honor, for recognition. And in that context, this is what Jesus does. And then Christ himself could hardly be more highly esteemed by the Father. And yet the path was submission, service, and suffering, leading to glory. 
And Jesus says, follow my example. And it's not like this is unique to the disciples. You probably have heard people say things like this. If you're going to get ahead, you must stand out. Leaders are a step ahead and a cut above the rest. Such is the kind of leadership advice that the world gives. Such advice is indeed worldly, not godly. That which is worldly is ungodly. Worldly behavior and advice is not indifferent, it is ungodly. If the world, if the world, if those who are worldly unwittingly say anything that is good, it's because it reflects the wisdom of God's own word and his ways. And it is certainly not Satan's intent. Instead, Satan deliberately twists. So Jesus says that if you would be like me, then you should display the leadership of sacrificial love through humble service. If you're given the privilege of being a leader in any way, your job as the head of your home is to be the primary servant in your home. If you're an elder in a local church or a deacon in a local church or a ministry leader in the local church, your primary role is sacrificial love to humble yourself and to serve others. If you're a boss at work and you are a Christian, your primary responsibility as the master of the business is to be a humble servant leader and to display the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Does that sound like the world? Now, all of this is indeed difficult. But it's worth it. To be like the one who loved us is our duty and our delight. To love like our Lord, our teacher, our master, the one who has even called us friend, is our duty and our delight. Jesus tells us to do this, but it is also our delight. In this same context, Jesus will tell them in the, in the section about abiding in him, him being the true vine and us being the branches. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Just so you see that this is the context of love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It is a duty, yes, but it is also our delight. Serve the Lord with gladness. Jesus says, blessed are you. If you know these things, blessed are you by God if you do them. What greater joy can you ask for? 
the smile of the eternal God. Well done, good and faithful servant. I am pleased with you. Serve the Lord with gladness. It is great joy to be like Jesus, to serve Jesus and tell of Jesus by our words and our deeds. So as we wrap it up, just remember, as those loved this way by God, our lives are to be a living illustration of the different love of Jesus. You must care about how different Jesus' love is because your ability to live this love is an expression of your relationship to God. Let me tell you again, you must care about how different Jesus' love is because your ability to live this love is an expression of your relationship to God. Without him, we cannot do this. Without him, we wouldn't even know what true love is. We would still only understand some polluted, feeble, fickle version of love. Jesus is different, even unexpected. If we are to be different from the world, the difference must be Jesus. Do you know him? Do you love him? Because God has loved you. Through him, we too can be different, and we must be different, like Jesus is different. What the world views as backwards is right side up, according to Jesus. Listen to John's words in a letter that he wrote to the churches that Ryan read earlier. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for Jesus Christ being the embodiment of your love. We thank you for his example of sacrificial death for the good of others, to your glory. And Father, we pray that your love would be in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we will repent and turn in faith to Jesus Christ so that your love can be poured into us by your Spirit, and that as we abide in you, we can learn to love like Jesus. 
Help us to see just how dramatically different Jesus' love is than that which the world claims is love. May we truly desire and strive for your highest glory and the highest good of others. In Christ's name we pray, amen.